an old monastery that was perched high on the top of a mountain. In fact, the only way to get up to the top of that cliff was to, to, be, to be hoisted up in a basket, unless you were a rock climber, most people weren't. So, so tourists would come to visit that monastery. It was kind of a, a bucket list kind of thing to go there and, and, and make that uh, perilous journey to the top of the, the mountain. So what would happen was th- there would be a basket, and the tourists would get in the basket and and up, up, uh, up on top of the cliff, there were monks that would pull and tug with all their might and hoist that basket up to the top of the cliff to the monastery, and they'd stay there until they were lowered back down to the, the, the ground below a little bit later on. One, one day, a, a tourist was in that, that basket. He was about halfway up, definitely well past the point of no return. And, and in, in the basket with him was one of the, the monks from the monastery that had welcomed him and they're on their way up, and he happened to, to look up at the rope that was attached to the basket, and, and he noticed that it looked old, and it looked just a little bit frayed. And he had been a little bit nervous uh, just going up. I mean, I, I would be as well, but when he noticed that the age and uh, the condition of that rope, his, his nervousness just got even that much worse. And finally, he looked at the monk in the basket with him, and he asked him this question. He said, hey, how, how often do you change? that rope when do you change that rope and the monk kind of hesitated for a second like he no one ever asked him that before and he thought for a second he said well i guess we change it when it breaks <laughs> uh maybe today you're in, feel like you're in that basket where you're not quite sure what the future holds you're not sure uh, if you're secure or not david uh was a man who was described as a man after God's own heart. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture today. In fact, if you want to open up your Bibles and, and, uh, and find it, Psalm chapter 3. If you want to take one of your bookmarks or a pencil or something and mark also uh, 2 Samuel chapter 17. And from we'll, we'll jump back to 1 Samuel from there, but you can find it easy enough when you get there. So if you want to hold 2, chapter, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 17, in place, uh, excuse me, Second Samuel chapter 15 in place, and then also Psalm 3 is where we're going to read first this morning uh, as we start today uh, o- over the next few weeks a series in the book of Psalms, just seeing what God has for us there. David, David was the chosen king of, of God. We, we're pretty familiar with David. We know his story. We, we know his failures as well as some of his, his uh, or we know his his, his victories as well as some of his failures. We know his passion, but we also know some of the mistakes that he made in his life. But, but we probably know him most for the big stuff, the, the, the mountaintop experience that he, he slayed Goliath with just a, a rock and a sling. We, we know that he uh, had killed both a lion and bear. He had conquered armies uh, who were the enemies of God. We know that, that David was a man who knew the knew a God of glory. He knew the God of victory. He knew the God of the mountaintop. He knew the God who went before him in his battles and walked beside him as he ruled as king. This this is the David that we know, King David. We know him as, and he knew God as the God who guided his very steps. Yet, we also see in several chapters in the book of Psalms, but in Psalm chapter 3 that we'll look at today, we that David also saw God, not just the God of the mountaintop, not the, just the God of the victory, but he also saw God as the God of the valley. If you have your Bibles, look with me in, in Psalm 
chapter 3. Let me give you just a little bit of background. I'm not going to read much of this. We'll go back and and read just a verse or so from the text. But in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and 16, 17, it chronicles the story of a time in David's life when when he was in the valley. His his son Absalom had, had turned the kingdom against him, had rallied the troops literally against David, was pursuing him to kill him, to take his throne by force. And David, who had fleed his city, had fleed the throne, found himself surrounded by an army of thousands, and he was struggling, and and he penned these words. So if, if you ever find yourself in the valley, or maybe you're there today, if you find yourself in the valley, you can come back and and see what David had to say. And we'll look at just two simple thoughts that David had. Psalm chapter 3, uh, starting with verse 1. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. He's crying out. How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Let's look at at two simple things that David did. Here's the first thing that he did. The first thing is he looked out. He looked out. Uh, his his response when he did so, and I can't fault him here. In fact, th- this is probably the response I would have. Uh, in, in fact, maybe it's why I love David so much, um, uh, because he was real. He was a man of God. He was a great man, but he was real. He was flawed. He had moments of doubt. He had moments of failure in life. David was just who he was. And when when Absalom came out against him, when Absalom showed up to, to destroy him, to take him out, the first thing David did was he looked out. And what he saw, what he saw was his problems. Don't we do that? Don't we, when we find ourselves in the valley, oftentimes it comes with no warning. We weren't expecting. We hadn't planned for it. We weren't, we're, we weren't making ourselves ready. It, it just came with a phone call, a, a simple someone saying something to us, or the flash of a moment, and suddenly when life was going good and, and we were sitting on the throne of our life, and suddenly we find ourselves in a valley. Uh, see, it's no small thing when you find yourself. It's no small thing there. And David's first response, David's first response is a lot like, unfortunately, my first response. He looked out, and the first thing he saw was his problem. He saw what was going on. He, he looked around, and he saw the pickle he was in. He saw his hardship and his heartache, and he, he, he saw the bad that could happen. He saw the pain that was coming his way. And, uh, and, and to be quite honest, he freaked out. Uh, hold Psalm chapter 3 there. We'll come back to that and, and reference again. But, but jump over to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Now, this is where it starts to tell that story. If you want to read uh, these chapters later on, you can kind of get a little bit more of the background 
to that story. But uh, Psalm chapter, or excuse me, Second Samuel chapter 15. Let me read just one verse there, verse, uh, verse 13, well, 13 and 14. Uh, a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So, so what he found out was that Absalom had, and you'll read that in chapter 15, uh, 15, Absalom had been working the people, had been building up this, had slowly been turning the people against uh, his own father. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or we, he will move quickly to overtake us and br- bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. So the first thing, the first thing he did was he saw his problem. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been where David was. You, you know what it's like to feel the sting of betrayal. Now, now David's betrayal wasn't wasn't from an enemy. Now, he, if an enemy had rose up against him, I'm sure David possibly would have looked at the problem. Maybe he would have maybe would have feared a little bit, but I, I don't think so. I, but but this betrayal was coming from from inside the castle. It was coming from his own son, not an enemy. And and maybe some of you have felt that betrayal. Maybe there's someone here this morning that literally has felt the betrayal by your child, just like David. You might be sitting there like, man, I know exactly what David's going through. I know, what, I know that, that, unique, that unique hard pain of, of a child turned against me. Or, or maybe it's the other way around, and, and I know we have people here today who felt that betrayal from a parent. Sometimes parents let their kids down, and some of you have had to go through that. And you, you, know that you know that heartache, that, that hardship that comes when a when a parent betrays you or or maybe a sibling or a friend or a coworker and boy it's so easy when when we feel the sting of betrayal when we find ourselves in the valley of that betrayal to our first response be to look at the problem some of you know uh, you, you know the fear See, David, David literally, on, on top of his, the betrayal, the hardship that caused David, David was literally fearing for his life. Absalom had gathered the, the troops against him, and, and he felt like he had to flee just to save his own skin. And, and, and maybe you've not felt it quite that way uh, in, in your betrayals, but, but maybe you felt that fear in your life. Maybe it's come from a diagnosis or a lost job or an unexpected setback, and and. And you're fearing, maybe not for your physical life, or maybe you are, but you're fearing. See, it's no small thing, and it's certainly no easy thing when you're facing a problem. And see, you would have thought David, uh, of all people, of all people, wouldn't David be the one that wouldn't have to face this? This chosen king god had had picked him out even even when he had uh, older brothers who were were more qualified for the job david being the youngest god picked him out specifically and god gave him great victories that first one with goliath and god had blessed him in some 
wonderful ways. And God had just given him such glory in his life. You would, you would think that David would never have to walk through a valley because he was God's king. But, but don't we think that way sometimes? Don't we think just like David? I know I do anyway. Uh, we see ourselves and we, we think we're chosen as well. In fact, we know from Scripture that we are. First, uh, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, talking of us as believers, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We think, we think of ourselves, well, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm following you, God. I've turned my life around. I'm giving myself to you. I, I, I'm giving up myself. I shouldn't have to walk through a valley. But please understand this. If God is the God of the mountain, if God is the God of the mountain, if God is the God of the victory, if God is the God of the good things in our life, then he also is the God, he's also the God of your valleys. See, David looked out, his first response was he saw his problems. And, 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 and what comes hand in hand with when we see our problems is we begin to doubt our deliverance. David doubted that God was going to deliver him. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are saying, rise, uh, how, how many rise up against me? Many are saying to me, God will not deliver. There's a young ju- uh, journalist that moved to Jerusalem to, to, to practice her trade, and, and she got a small apartment that looked down over the welling wall in, in the old city of Jerusalem, and she would, from time to time, sit in the window and look down at the, the, the people that would come to the wailing wall. There were tourists all the time coming to the wall, and she would note them coming up and maybe putting a, a little piece of paper in one of the cracks of the wall. And, and, and then she would notice the ones that were there all the time. And she picked one old Jewish uh, guy out, one, one old guy that was dressed uh, in, in, uh, in the garb. And she noticed him every day. He would be there in the morning. And, and if she happened to be in her window in the late afternoon, she would, would notice that he would walk up again to the wall, and he would stand at the wall and, and, and with his eyes closed, he would pray, just, just fervently pray. And, and over a series of weeks and even months, she, she would just pick this guy out. And every day, every day, he was at the wall praying. So, so one day she finally decided, I've, I've got to, I'm a journalist, I've got to interview this guy. So she walked down to the wall where he was. And, and when he had stopped praying and started to walk away, she, she introduced herself to him and, and began to ask him, a couple questions. She said, I, I noticed you here at the wall. I said, how long have you been doing this? How long have you been coming to the wall? And she and the old man said, well, I've been coming here every day for 25 years. In, in the morning, I come and I pray for world peace and the brotherhood of mankind. Then I go home and get some lunch and, and, and drink a, an afternoon tea. And in the afternoon, I come back and I pray that God will eradicate disease and illness. And this journalist was just amazed at this. 25 years. And the only question she could think to ask him after that is, well, 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 well after coming here for 25 years, how, how do you feel after you've prayed for things for 25 years? How do you feel? And the old man thought for a while and then since, simply answered, I feel like I'm talking to a wall. Have you, uh, have you ever felt like 
Have you ever felt like you're talking to a wall? Have you found yourself in the valley? You didn't expect to be there. You didn't think it would happen, but boy, there you are nonetheless. And, and all you can see is, all you can see is the difficulty. All you can see is the betrayal. All you can see is, is the pain. All you can see is the uncertainty. And, and you cry out to God. Who, who of us doesn't, after we look at our problem for a while, begin to cry out to God? And, and sometimes we begin to doubt. We begin to doubt. I, I believe that, that David, first of all, began to doubt himself. We, we know this because his first response was to pack up his stuff and, and leave Jerusalem. Instead of, instead of realizing, in fact, if you have your Bibles, uh, uh, if you, I told you, but if you kept your Bible open to, to first Samuel, or second Samuel chapter 15, zip over to first Samuel chapter 17. Uh, you're, you're gonna remember this verse. First champ, uh, first Samuel chapter 17 verse 37 says this. Now this is David a little bit before uh, this event in the uh, uh, in in the valley, verse thirty-seven says this. This is right before he goes up against Goliath. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Now, where where was that confidence? Where was that faith? Where was that assurance that God was going to deliver him? Now, see, David saw the problem, and then he began to doubt. He doubted that God was going to deliver him, and I, and I think the first thing he did was he doubted himself. Look at verse 2 in chapter 3 there. It says, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Who? I, I read that, and my, the first thing that popped in my head was who? Who was saying that? I, I love it when people say, well, many people are saying this. I always, always want to ask, well, who's saying that? Uh, who who say that? So 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 I'm sure his enemies were saying that. I'm sure the people that had turned against him were saying that. I'm sure some of the soldiers that had turned from David to go with Absalom were saying, "Hey, God's not going to deliver him. He's toast." But you know what? I think he really meant by by that because I find when people come to me and say, "Hey, many people are saying this or that," you know who I find out usually saying that is the person that's telling me that. And I think David. I think Dave, when he says, many people are saying of me, I think the loudest voice that he was hearing, the voice that, that he heard echoing in his ears, were him. See, he was doubting his own faith. And on top of that, he was doubting that God would be there. See, he doubted his own deliverance by doubting his faith, and he doubted God's goodness to deliver him. Pastor David Jeremiah, who's a pastor of a megachurch in uh, San Diego area, tells the story of a time that he was up at a, a Christian camp up in the, in the hills of Southern California, and he was, uh, was at this camp as the main speaker. One, one afternoon, uh, he, he got on one of the motorcycles that belonged to the the camp that was for for some of the camp people to to ride and and he got on the motorcycle and headed up into the mountains there's a bunch of trails to ride and 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 a lot of staff members had told him about a beautiful lake that was way up in the mountains so so he made his way up there and he he went through all these trails and he finally came upon that lake and he said it was it was the most beautiful scene he had ever seen it was a, a cool sunny southern california afternoon and the sun was was uh, glimmering off the the lake and you could see the clouds 
uh, mirroring off that lake. And he said he sat there and he just marveled at God's goodness and God's mercy and God's greatness and, and just the beauty of, uh, and serenity of that moment. He said he sat there for a while and, and just bowed his head and prayed and just worshiped God, sitting there at this beautiful mountain-high lake. And, and he got so relaxed that he fell asleep. Jeremiah says that, that he kind of woke up with a start and the first thing he realized that the sun that had been bright in the sky had started to get lower and lower to the west. And he thought to himself, man, I need to get back on the motorcycle and get back to the camp. And so he jumped on the motorcycle and as he started heading down some of the, the trails, he began to doubt where he was. Is this the trail I took? Is this the road? He stopped a couple times to look and try to get bearings and, and then he took off again. He said he went a little ways and and he hit a rut on the motorcycle, and he laid the motorcycle over, and he looked down, and his, leg, his, his pant leg was ripped, and his leg was bleeding, and his knee was skinned, and the sun was starting to set. And, and suddenly that mood of, oh, God's majesty and God's glory and God's beauty was far from his mind. And all he could think of is, I'm hurt, and I'm bleeding, and I'm not sure where I am, and I don't know if anyone even knows that I'm here and will come get me. He, he said it was amazing how fast he went from glorying in God to being in the valley and wondering if God would deliver him. Jeremiah goes on to say he, he quickly realized his situation, quickly realized his, his doubt, and, and simply prayed. God, I don't know where I am. I'm not sure if I can make it, but, but give me the strength and and he was able to make it back to the camp. See, it's easy for us to, uh, to look out and see our problems, to look out and doubt our deliverance. But then, but then we see what David did. Look, uh, look with me in verse 3. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on my head and lift, uh, on me and lift up my head to the Lord I cry out, and he answers from his holy hill. Then David looked up, and he remembered that God was there. He remembered that, that he wasn't alone. The God that had given him the victory over the lion and the bear, the God that had given him victory over Goliath, the God that had given him victory over the armies against Israel, that same God that had been with him in the victories was there with him, was there with him all the time. And, and he points out three simple things. He, he points out that God, first of all, is our shield. Verse 3 says, but you are a shield around me. Several years ago, I think I was just out of high school, maybe, maybe just after my freshman year in college, I, I had an opportunity to ride with my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law, uh, Chuck, he's married to my oldest sister, Becky, is, uh, or was an uh, Illinois State Trooper. And, and I'd, I'd been bugging him about that for years. And finally, he said, hey, you, you can ride with me one night. So so I met him at his house where he kept his car about the time he was going to start his shift. And he comes walking out of the house, and he opens up the trunk of his squad car. And, man, in the back of the squad car, in the back of that trunk was some pretty cool stuff. He had a shotgun, and he had a whole container full of more ammunition. I'm like, man, we can, we can really do some damage. Well, not we, but uh, I'll be hiding in the car, Chuck. You can do some damage here. And, and he had a bunch of flares, and he had a bunch of reflecting signs. And uh, he just had all kinds of this stuff in the back of his trunk, and then, and then he, he kind of pulled on his belt, 
And that belt, man, I wanted a belt like his. I mean, all those little things, a little thing right here that had extra bullets where you could just pop and put it in. The other side, maybe the bullets were here, the gun was here. I don't remember which way it was. And, and he had a little nightstick that he could pull out and do that little, and, and it, it telescopes out. And I'm like, wouldn't that be cool? And uh, flashlight, just all kinds of stuff on that belt. But, but, but when he went to the back of the trunk and, and, and dug in and saw all the stuff, or I saw all the stuff, he reached in and he took out what he told me was his most important piece of equipment. See, he had walked out of the house. I thought it was weird. He walked out of the house. He didn't have, he had a T-shirt on, but he didn't have his uniform shirt on. And he walked out, opened up the trunk, and out of the trunk he pulled out a, a vest, a bulletproof vest, and he put that on. And then he put a shirt on. And I remember him saying, that's my most important piece of equipment. But you are a shield around me. See, God's our shield. He protects us. He defends us. It protects us. It defends us against what could happen. I'm going to take the time to read this, but if you want to, Note Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10, Paul talks about the, 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 uh, the part of our arm, and he says that we have a shield because arrows are going to come, and life's going to come, but God is there. God gives his glory. You are shield around me, and you bestow glory on me, and lift my head. David remembered when he looked up and saw God that God was going to lift him up. See, God doesn't always magically transport us from our valleys. Wouldn't it be great if all we had to do was one simple prayer, and maybe it was found in Scripture somewhere where we just had to turn to that and recite that prayer, and God would always magically just lift us out of our valley and, and, and make it as if we were never there. God doesn't always do that, but he lifts our head. Notice what he Notice what he says, verse 4 and following. He says, the Lord, to the Lord I cry out, and he answers me from his holy hill. Now, now he doesn't say there that he, that, he, that he saves him. He doesn't say he lifts him out right then. Notice what he says in verse 5. I, lay, I, I lie down, and he's still in the valley. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. David is saying these words of confidence while still in the valley. While still in the valley. Dr. Gary Barnhouse tells a story of a time that he was in a valley. He said his, his wife had passed away unexpectedly and left him with three teenage and younger children. Said they, they hadn't seen it coming. It just blew them away. And, and as they went through the process, he said it was just a, a blur as the arrangements were made and the funeral took place and they, they made their way to the cemetery to lay her body to rest. And he said they were in the, in the funeral car on their way back to the church, just he and his three kids in the back seat of the, the limo. And, and he had no words. His children were crying, and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, I was, trying to, I was trying to think, God, what can I say to them? How can I give them hope? How? 
how, how can I speak some truth to them? But he wasn't even sure he knew where that was coming from. So, so he had no words. When, when all of a sudden a, a truck passed them, a, a big truck, and, and as it did so, the shadow of that truck engulfed their limo. So it just kind of happened. And when it did, he said, God spoke to me. He said he looked over at his children and he said, said, kids, let me ask you a question. What would you rather have run over you? You'd rather have that truck beside us run over you or its shadow run over you? Well, they all answered, well, of course, Dad, we'd rather have its shadow. It was then that he reminded them of, of the words of David in Psalm 23. Death is just a shadow. This valley is just a shadow. And finally, we see that God... God delivers. It may not be when you think. It may not be how you think. God may not show up at the, the moment you plan. God may not show up in, with, with the answer that you've prayed for. But in the valley, God always delivers. It was over 32 years ago. Thirty-two years ago that I went through my first valley. I didn't think I'd do this. Started with a, a phone call about midnight. <clears throat> the phone rang out in the, the the dining room or the kitchen of our the small parsonage we lived at in Rushville, and I got up and answered the phone. Rita reminded me I didn't remember this that the power was off, so I probably stumbled out there. And you. I was still young enough, I think I was 28 years old, to, to not have experienced enough life to, to be that worried that the phone rang at midnight. Now when the phone rings, anytime after 11 o'clock at night, our heart skips a beat. With our kids and grandkids spread out over, over several states, uh, I hate to hear the phone ring. I'm happy when it's just a prank call or, or a, a misdial. But that night I answered the phone not expecting that, that where I had been in life would suddenly turn into a valley. When my sister said, uh, they've taken Dad to the hospital. He's been at, at Good Sam in, in Mount Vernon, and they're turning him to University Hospital in St. Louis. You probably should come. We're not really sure if he'll make it or not. So we gathered up three small children. Caleb was only a few months old at the time. And, and in the dark, as Rita remembered, threw some clothes in a, a suitcase and into the car and, and on the road to St. Louis. I don't even know how we found the hospital. as before cell phones and GPSs. And, but somehow off uh, Highway 40 in downtown St. Louis, we found University Hospital and made our way up to, to where my family was gathered. And got the news. Got the news that put us for, for, I don't know, about 10 days, 12 days, put us in a valley. Dad had had a, a bleed in his brain, only 53 years old, but had a, a, a roughly or basically an aneurysm. Probably wouldn't, wouldn't have quality of life, wouldn't survive. And, and there we were in the valley. 
I remember as we drove across I-70, more than once, Rita looked over at me and said, what are you thinking? Are you okay? And I'll be honest, I was looking at my problem. And I'll be honest, I, I was wondering, well, God, will you deliver? And then I began to cry out, God, this is what I want you to deliver me with. This is how it's going to happen, God. This is what you should do. God, God showed up in a big way. God showed up in an amazing way. Not the way I thought. A few days later, we took my dad off life support, and he passed from this world to the next. But God showed up. God was there with us, with my sister, my brother, and my mom, and, and all of our, our family. God was there even in the darkest moment of my life, in a moment that still brings me tears. See, God is, certainly God is the God of, of the, the mountaintop. And God is the God of the victory. And boy, we love that. But God's the God of the valley too. And when you're in the valley, remember David. You, you may see your problem. You may doubt your deliverance. You may may not respond quite you may you may like david pack up and flee for a while but but oh remember he's a shield around us he's going to lift our head and he will deliver us let, let me close by reading the the words of another psalm psalm 121 david says this I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Instead, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God is the God. God is the God of the valley. Father, we pray for your strength and your understanding. Help us be help us be like David and remember to look up and see you. To remember that you're by us even in the valley, that you hold us, you lift us, you shield us, you deliver us. Father, there's hurting hearts here today. There's hurting hearts that are watching at home. Father, help us remember that you are are the God out of the valley in Jesus' name.